Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone, and welcome to everyone who's here. Um, pastor Kent, our lead pastor today, is in the building, but he is downstairs in the children's ministry today. So you can say hello to him after, but uh, right now, I am the one preaching this morning, and I'm continuing on the series that we have that is called The One Another's. Uh, we're the third week in so far, and today's uh, topic is um, on humility and hospitality. We want to be a community of people who is known for treating one another well. Uh, we want to have community, common unity that's completely based on Jesus Christ and how he's taught us to live. Um, he's our motivation. So it's going to be a little bit of a busy sermon. Let me give you the outline so that you don't get lost. Uh, we're going to speak about hospitality, and then humility, and then the example of Jesus, and then we're going to close with the Lord's Supper later on. So any time that I preach, but especially in the times when I preach about humility, I think we ought to open with a prayer, because I need help for that. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, you have blessed us by giving us your word written out in the Bible. And God, this morning we ask that you would add to that blessing with the gift of your Holy Spirit to help us to understand these words. God, they're your words, and we want them to be lived out in our lives. Help us this morning. Um, help me to be able to say things in a way, God, that would bring honor to you and to Jesus. And use this message today to build up this body in the love of Christ, that we can look like Christ and act like Christ and know his freedom and have, um, God, your smile on, on this church this morning. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name that we trust. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to start off with hospitality. So I've got a little exercise for you right now. I would like you to either write down or say to the person beside you or just think in your mind three words that you would use to define hospitality. You got your three words? Okay. I now give you the gift of a hospitality meme found on the internet. This is from Motivational Draft. And Motivational Draft says, if you have more than you need, build a bigger table and not a taller fence. Now I want to present to you the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary definition of hospitality. To entertain or receive a stranger, sojourner, into one's home as an honored guest, and to provide the guest with food, shelter, and protection. This was not merely an oriental custom or good manners, but a sacred duty that everyone was expected to observe. So we can see that the historic root of hospitality is kindness to strangers. You might think of Abraham when he sent his servant to go find a wife for his son, and he goes off to a far land, and he's sitting in the center of town, and he waits there for someone to come and go. Because that's what you would do if you were a tra traveler. You'd go to the middle of the town, and someone would come and say, peace to you. You'd say, peace to you as well. They'd ask where you were headed and what your plans were. And, and then would offer a safe place for your animal, and, they, and they'd offer you a safe place for, place for the evening and a meal to eat. That was ancient hospitality. It, it looked different in, in Jesus' day. It had become something else. Something that I've found described as patronage system. Here's how it worked. 
you would be hospitable to people that you could benefit from. Maybe social standing, maybe economically, maybe politically. You'd invite people into your home who had good connections so that by showing them hospitality, you would benefit yourself. It had become very, very self-serving. If we ask this question, we'll come up with the same answer, I think. Is the hospitality of Jesus self-serving? No, no, of course not. Jesus came to serve and not to be, to be served. So he was turning that current system on its head. And we see a good example of this um, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 14. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a, give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, hospitality, maybe it isn't a hospitality if it's only limited to those who we are friends with already. Instead, hospitality comes to life when we offer hospitality hospitality to those that we, those that we differ from. People we might not already know. No. People who we're being kind to just because we want to show God's love, not because there's something we can get back. Romans 12, 13 encourages us, share with saints in their, in their need, pursue hospitality. Maybe your translation says, practice hospitality. What do you think of when you hear the word pursue? I think a little bit of effort. It is, uh, maybe there's some practice there. There's some learning that has to happen. Tality can be a learned skill for all of us. Can you work on that skill, skill this? I, I have something all to try. It will take up the cha- challenge. Will you stay extra 10, ten midday and make it your intention to have, have hospitable conversations in our foyer? foyer. Maybe find, find someone who you don't already know really well and have a great conversation. Talk, talk to people in such a way where you can listen to them, get to know them, um, understand what, what they're talk, talking about and who they are as a person. Uh, finish the thought with them before you move on to the next person. If, if, if someone else is in a conversation, and I, I really have something that I just really, really need to say so fast, I, I will have pace and wait for that conver- conversation to finish and show hospitality in my, in my restricted area. Or else I'll, I'll humbly answer the conversation. I think it's a, a good uh, thing to practice this today. Um, anybody up for the challenge? Let's, let's have some hospitable conversations in our church. Just, just for an extra 10 minutes and see how that, that goes. Um, I do see plenty of hospitality in our church already. But since it's on the topic today, why not encourage it a little more? Okay, I'm moving on to humility right away. We're, we're going to do the exact same exercise that we did for hospitality. Where you're going to write down... Or say to the person beside you, or think in your mind, three words that would describe humility. Okay. I got a quote for you this morning from C.S. Lewis. Uh, He says this. A proud man is always looked down on, on things and people. And of course, as long as you, as you are looking down, 
You cannot not see something that is, that is above. The Holman Illustrated Dictionary will describe humility this way. Personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's worth. So, um, have you heard of, heard of Dwight Moody before? Uh, here is, is a quote he has. He says, Did you ever notice the reason Christ gave for learn of him? He might have said, Learn of me, because I am the most advanced thinker in the age. I have performed miracles that no man else has performed. I have shown my supernatural power in a thousand ways. But no, the reason he gave was that he was meek and lowly in heart. And of course, he's referring to Matthew eleven twenty nine, where Jesus says, All of you, take my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle, your translation might say meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Why do you want to learn from Jesus this morning? He is gentle. He's, he's humble. This is a good reason to want to learn from him. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 55, uh, in the section of the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount, that the gentle or the are blessed. They will inherit the earth. What a thought. We usually, usually think it's the powerful who will inherit the or we think it's the ones with the army who will inherit the earth. Or the ones who are the most deserving. Jesus said, it's the gentle who will inherit the earth. Sometimes that rubs us the wrong way. I remember, I remember a colleague, and, and she was so gentle and, and sweet and kind. And I said, you know, the Bible says, says a good thing about you. It says, says bless gentle, for they'll inherit the earth. And she was wish about that. But Jesus pointed out, pointed out as a thing that we should think of as great. Um, um, it's good to be humble. Charles Spurgeon ran a seminary for young preachers. And the story is told of Al Bryant, of one of those students. One of Spurgeon's students went into the pulpit, preach, of course, with every expression of confidence. But he had a really difficult time. I would say it, it did not well. He came down distressed, almost broken in heart, and went to Spurgeon about it. He wanted some advice. The words from Spurgeon to him were these. If you had gone up as you came down, you would have come down as you went up. If he had gone up with this, maybe a little bit more humility, he would have seen what I might have done instead of seeing what he might have done. You know, I find that we are immediately suspicious of anybody who claims to be humble. Or is it just me? Someone says, I'm a humble person. Look up to me. We say, are you sure? If you are humble, well, you typically will make that, that boast. Yet Jesus calls us to humbly serve. So, so how can we do that? The straight face and a good conscience. Do you, you want to be humble? Uh, then ask the question that I'm trying to ask. How? How to be humble? What do I need to learn? What has to change? Of course, I, I want to Jesus as for my answer. For he is the ultimate example of humility. Jesus gave up every right, gave up every comfort of heaven, so that he come to this, this earth and serve a people who did not even, even recognize him as their own. And this is, is exemplified at the celebration of a Passover meal 
with his disciples in the upper room. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up to John chapter 13, uh, uh, verses of the 17 is the one that we're going to read. But I want to give the context of what happens earlier in that chapter as well. As well. And this, this meal happened at the very end of Jesus' um, time of ministry on the, on the earth. He has been teaching, discipling um, these 12 that are, that are in there with him for, for over the past three years. He knows them well. He loves them. He's poured, he's poured his life to them. I just know something most of them don't know, which is that very, very night Jesus is going to be arrested. The, the next day he is going to be crucified. And they have made, made arrangements that they, they would celebrate this Passover feast together. Judas, one of the disciples, is, is planning to, b- to betray Jesus. But nobody else knows that. Knows that. Well, except, except for Jesus. Jesus knows, but Judas doesn't know that, Je- that Jesus knows. And there's a few interesting parts of that conver- conversation that we're actually not, actually not going to get into this morning. Now, I learned in the Bible Knowledge Commentary that it was a mark of honor a host to provide a servant to wash a guest. And it was a breach of, of hospitality not, not to provide for it. Uh, why? Why would often wash their husband's feet? That's a very kind thing to do. Children would often wash their parents' feet. Feet. Most people, of course, had to wash their own feet. Feet. But we see in this meal that Jesus is the one who will wash the disciples' feet. We should know that feet traveled in open sandals along the dusty roads of Jerusalem. So there is lots of opportunity for feet to, be, to become clarity. Also, have any of you ever to the Calgary Stampede Parade? Yes? Yes? Some yet? Have you noticed that after all the animals go through, every 10 or 15 minutes, there's a street cleaner that goes through? Well, Jerusalem could have used that as the same sort of a thing. They didn't. So you can imagine just how dirty the feet were that people had. It was a very good idea to wash the feet. But in this particular Passover meal, when the disciples and Jesus are celebrating this feast, no has washed the feet. We know also from complimenting passage in Luke, Luke chapter 22, that the disciples during that meal had an argu- argument over which one of them was going to be, to be the greatest one in the kingdom of God. One of them would have, have highest position. They thought that was really, really important. They were a little, a little confused about how the kingdom of God works, I, I think. And so Jesus decides to demonstrate to them, to them what humility looks like. Jesus teaches them a lesson the way that he, he does this. He takes off his robe, ties a towel around his waist, one by one, he washes his, their feet. Peter does not want any part of it. Peter is take, taken aback. You will never wash my feet, ever. He's emphatic. Think about this. Would you ever say that to Jesus? Just straight up, up Jesus will do something for you and you say, no, you, you can never do that to me. Peter's a pretty confident fellow, isn't he? he? What gives Peter that sort of a confidence? Um, clearly, clearly, Peter does not understand that Jesus is, is in the middle of teaching a lesson. But, but Peter does know that he should never be the teacher and, and certainly not his Lord who would wash his feet. It should always be, be the other way around in his mind. He's, he's got... Um, um, a mentality in his mind, his mind where 
in a culture that, that um, speaks about honor and, and shame, and he doesn't, he doesn't want that to go the opposite direction with him. With him. But Jesus is going to sh- show Peter and the, and the red disciples, and, and us today, since we're reading, reading this account, that we need Jesus in order to be made, made clean. Think about it this, this way. This Passover feast begins with a washing. It's going to end crucifixion. And ultimately, in a resurrection. We, we need Jesus to make us clean. He, he is the only way. Verse 12, John 13, 13 says this. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? Now, don't look, don't look in your Bibles to the next verse. Quickly answer the question. Because it's, it's a good question. Do you know what I have, have done for you? Put yourself in the place of those disciples who were lined around the table. They weren't sitting there. They, they used to recline around tables. And Jesus has just washed your feet. And he asks you the question, do you know what I have done for you? I wonder what, what kind of answers we would come, come up with. Jesus goes on to explain in verses 13 to 15. You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should should do just as I have done for you. What Jesus has done. He's, he's given us an example of humility, an example of service. He, he shows his heart of service by, and his heart of love by washing their feet. And when you, when you all throughout Jesus' life and, and the way he interacts with people and how he treats, treats people and how he cares for them, it's a life with that consistent mess, message all throughout it. He is a humble man who cares, cares for people and serves people and, and demonstrates God's love in the ways that, that meet the needs of the, pe- the people. Mark 10, 45, Jesus, speaking about himself, says, for even the man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, an amazing example that we should imitate. Let me personalize this for myself. This means that there's no job I'm too for. There is no person that I, I could serve who I should ever, ever consider to be beneath me. John 13, 16, Jesus says, says, Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than the master, and a messenger is not, is not greater than the one who, who sent him. A servant is not greater than his master. In that room of Jesus and disciples, Jesus is the one who's Lord. He's the master. The disciples have committed their life to one's ones to serve him. Can any of those disciples say that better than Jesus? Of course not. Can any, any of us here today claim to be greater than, than Jesus? No. And likewise, the disciples are the messengers. Jesus is the one, one who sends his message. In the same way, we are the, are the messengers. We carry forward the message of Jesus Christ. Are we as messengers greater than Jesus who sends us with his message? No. And so here is the rhetoric or the logic that Jesus is using. 
Since Jesus himself, who was greater, greater, willing to take on the job of washing feet, which was viewed to be below any of them, then we should be willing to take on that job, and worse, for we are not greater than Jesus. That's the lesson he's teaching. We ask the question, how, how can I be humble? I can be humble as I follow Christ's example, as I have his attitude. This attitude of service that looks for ways to help others and bless others. Maybe take on jobs that others might not, not feel inclined to do. I can follow Christ's example, his heart on passion and love. And all, all of this really, some level, is beyond us as well. Because we need God's Holy Spirit for this too. We're, we're, lo- we're lost with God's help. The power of the Holy Spirit is also how we can live this life of humility. Because I know that God can bless people far greater than I can. His resources are far greater than resources. Than resources. His heart of love is so much, much better than my heart of love. Love The ways that he knows people and wants to care for them is greater than mine. So, so I'm always wanting to say, God, bless others, others to me. So it's not just me blessing, it's your Holy Spirit. It's you who wants to help others. Jesus wraps up this teaching with a really, really important verse. In verse 17, he says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. We've learned about humility and hospitality, the example of Christ. Now, now it's fair to say we know these things, but we are blessed if we do them. It's where we get to know the truth by living out truth. It's where we experience freedom that Jesus offers by obeying man's, where his abundant life is experienced as we follow his example. And of course, it's all by his help. It's all by his grace, which, which enables us to do these things. We see in Philippians 2.8, speaking about Jesus, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. As you look, look at that verse, answer this question. How did Jesus himself? What did it say? By becoming obedient. This, when we apply it to, apply it to our lives, does not become a, a self-righteous obedience that puts us in a higher status than those who are less obedient. That's, that's not the kind of obedience that Jesus demonstrates. It's a hum- humble obedience that says, not my, my will, Father but your will be done. And we see, see that there's a, a special lesson here that it's an obedience that trusts God above everything else. I've come to see that obedience and trust are a huge part of, of humility. Humility is found in trust and obedience and the best exemplified in Jesus Christ. In this passage from John 13, Jesus, Jesus modeled humility and hospitality by taking on the role of a servant. He does this as an example that those of us who want to follow him should follow. So John is the only gospel writer, I believe, who describes the foot washing. The other gospel writers describe the Lord's Supper. As reading in the Apologetic Study Bible, um, this article, it says, only John describes the foot washing. Only the other gospels present Jesus' words over the bread and the cup. But both fit neatly together as part of the same meal, a Jewish 
Passover feast, which Jesus reinterpreted, symbolizing his upcoming self-giving death for the sins of humanity. So, speaking of the Passover feast, the Jewish people celebrated Passover to celebrate what God had done for them when he rescued them being slaves to Pharaoh. One of the central ingredients of the Passover feast is the Passover lamb. We see in the New Testament that Jesus himself fulfills this feast. He shows that pointing to him all along. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, he exclaims, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Passover Lamb. This all happens at Passover. In fulfilling what the Israelites were celebrating, freedom, life, being in relationship with God, Jesus came so that he could take away the sin of the world. The Passover feast remembers freedom from foe celebrates God's saving power. And the Lord's Supper, which we get to celebrate today, it celebrates freedom from sin, and it remembers Jesus' death and resurrection. Matthew 26 talks about this. It describes the same scene that John is describing. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then, then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to, to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is, this is my blood establishes the covenant. It is, it is shed for any for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, from this, mo- this moment, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until when I drink it in a new way in my Father's kingdom with, with you. And so as a church, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We do this once a month as a church family. Now, now if you have bulletins with you, you'll see the quick instructions. If you haven't taken communion with us before, you might want to read through those instructions. But I'll quickly say is who this is for. We believe that communion, participating in the Lord's Word, is for anybody who is a Christian. Anybody who has believed Jesus, that is the Son of God, believes that Jesus has died on the cross and risen again, and has asked forgiveness of sins, trust him, him for their salvation, these are the ones who should participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, the way, way that we would is I'll have, have some helper come forward. We're going to pray for first the bread, and, and then we'll pour the juice. We don't have, have wine here. We used to symbolize that. We'll pass them out, and when it comes to, to you, what you do is hold on to that, and, and as you're holding on to it, you can, you can pray about it. You can pray and remember what Christ, Christ has done. And then they'll all um, participate with that and, and t- take together. So I want to call forward those, those who are helping communion right now. Right, and it's time for us to remember Jesus and resurrection um, as we participate in communion together.